Hey everybody, welcome to Deathmatch News Radio. This is going to be episode number 15. Uh, we're recording this on January 7th and January 6th, respectively. As always, I'm joined by Mike. Uh, before we go too far, as most of you probably know, uh, Mike was involved in a pretty bad car uh, car crash. Um, uh, what was it, about a week ago, Mike? A little over that, yeah. Yeah, um, so... Well, um, yeah, so, Mike, if you want to just update the listeners, you know, a lot of people uh, care a lot about you, and we were all pretty worried for a while. Yeah, first off, I just want to say thank you to everyone. Um, so many people, you know, like Stephen and Bahu and um, Andy, uh, Jamie and Ben, my friends from Facebook, uh, or Shaheem from THC sent me out so many good positive notes and, uh, you know, messages, and, and, you know, lots of people on Deathmatch Call and Twitter. You know, message me, and I appreciate everyone's um, love affairs. It means a lot. Um, was we were kind of forced off the road. It so slow. I was a passenger, and I, we went down a deep ravine. The truck went uh, passenger side first into a very large tree. Um, in the process, I ended up breaking a vertebrae in my back and damaging another one in my neck. So I have to wear a neck brace. I, I kind of found a fracture in my wrist. Did put a rod in my right wrist, down for my elbow. I cut some tendons in my right hand. Um, black and blue bruises all over my body. Um, concussion when I hit my head on the windshield. Uh, it's neurological damage, they think. So they spent a week in the hospital doing tests. Now I'm in a neck brace, so I still um, have a lot of tests in front of me. So I'm hoping, uh, you know, if it heals on the snow and I may not have to have surgery, I have to wait a month and a half for everything to stop swelling and for them to do more scans to know for sure, but uh, I'm a lot better than I could have been. I could have been dead. Um, so as bad as the pain is, at least I, at least I can feel the pain, and I'm still here to see my family and the, you know, and all my friends. So that's kind of where I'm at with Sarah. You can always catch me on Deathmatch Cult page, uh, Strong Style Cult, or Combat Cult page, which is going to start a podcast uh, this coming week, uh, Old School Wrestling Cult page on Twitter. Um, and like I said, again, thank you for everyone that sent me the kind messages and all the prayers and all the love is much appreciated by my family and myself. All right, awesome. And um, okay, and as always, you can find me online. I'm at uh, indywrestlingintl.wordpress.com. You can find me on Twitter at intl wrestling. Um, check out my newest newsletter, uh, which um, I out. You know, I went over my entire trip that I had in Japan. A lot of good little inside little scoops I got. Uh, went over the, uh, you know, reviewed the, the GCW Dynasty show. I think it was one of really my best little newsletters I've done. So uh, definitely go and check that out. And um, a couple of other plugs, uh, you know, um, uh, are, are, are kind of, I don't know if I would call them our cousins, but definitely check out the THT show. That's uh, Shaheen and Boxman. That like that show is always cool, and they always give us a shout out. So we're gonna give them a good old shout out. So um, that's all I can think of for plugs. Um, I guess we'll get right into it, Mike. I know that um, I don't know how much you really kept up on things, but we had a bunch of shows over the past couple weeks. Cause um, so I was in Japan from December twenty fourth till January third. So I was able to go to a ton of shows. Obviously, the first of which was going to be the Freedom's Bloody Christmas show. Uh, were you able to watch this show? Yes. Yes, actually, I, uh, I posted the whole show on the call page on the 4th as soon as it came out. So, yeah, I did watch the show. 
All right, cool. Um, well, um, I'll let, let you kind of go, go over it first. So the big news of it is going to be that, Ju that uh, Jun Kasai is the world champion, the Freedom's world champion. He defeated Masashi Takeda in the main event. Uh, the main event was a, gla a glass board de uh, death match. And then they had a, a gadget board with uh, razors and then uh, plastic sporks, which kind of strange for a Freedom show. They usually don't use those types of weapons. But... Um, uh, going forward, I don't really know what they're going to do. Um, uh, it looks like the first challenger is going to be Sakuda, the big Japan, uh, young boy. Pretty sure Kasai is going to defeat him pretty soundly. But, um, I, you know, I just want to know, what did you think of, uh, Kasai winning the, the title? Um, I, I would have kept it on Takeda. Um, that's just me. Uh, I think it'll be a short run probably, but... You know, Kasai, I mean, neither Takeda or Kasai need a title because they're, they're amazing, but Kasai really doesn't need any kind of championship. Um, he's over beyond it. Um, I, I just would have, I think I would have kept it on Takeda because obviously June's got some leg problems now and some other issues, and he's always battling injuries because obviously look at the career he's had. Um, but I thought the match was a solid match. Um, I don't know. If, I think I liked the match from the last card a little bit better, but it was a solid match, which really from the whole card in general, I really was surprised from the, the Cicada and the Fakimoto match. I really enjoyed that. Uh, they were really wild and crazy. Uh, the tag match was really good. Uh, the six-man bunkhouse is what you'd expect. Um, the tag match is really good. But it was a good show overall. You know, it was four death matches. Um, you know, the opener matches were okay. It was a, a good, solid show. But I uh, I don't know what. Uh, how bad is June's injury. Well, um, it's looking like so he... He's had a, a knee injury since November. He had a ladder match against Camwe. Well, he had a match with a ladder in it against Camwe, and something happened. He twisted it, and um, so ever since November, he's been going in for drainings. And um, apparently, at the uh, he wrestled on at DDT on the third. Well, he had two shows on the third. He wrestled Freedoms at Shinkiba at noon, and then he wrestled DDT at Kurokin Hall uh, in the evening. And um, after the DDT show, his knee was so swell, uh, swelled up, he had to go for uh, draining, and apparently it was a bunch of blood that, that came out, which means he's got damage to his MCL. I mean, I'm not a doctor, and right. I, don't, I don't watch a lot of football, so I don't know a lot of these, these injuries. But, um, you know, he's got a pretty injured knee, and so he's going to take some time off. Like, he's, uh, he's canceled a lot of his bookings coming up, um, uh, specifically the DDT January 5th show, uh, which is going to be go? I think it already happened, and yeah, it already happened. Duh. And um, but he he's you know he posts on Twitter that he's going to be taking some time off. So um, hold on, give me one second. I'm really sick, guys, and I gotta blow my nose. Give me Mike, say something clever, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I really I think with his injury in his knee, I would have kept the uh, title on Takeda longer. Uh, so obviously, if it's an MCL. That could be six to twelve months if they had to operate. That's a pretty pretty serious injury, depending on the extent of it. If they're already draining blood, swelling for so long, it definitely sounds like something that uh, he's going to be out for a while. Well, we'll see. We'll we'll talk about that more in a second. I do want to go over the show really quickly. Um, so uh, the first death match was um, they had uh, Kenji Fukumoto against uh, uh, Toshiyuka. Toshiyuki Sakuda. Now, uh, Sakuda is the big Japan young boy deathmatch wrestler. He's really short. He's he's 155 centimeters. I think he's about five five or so maybe. Um, 
he's really short in person, but for the, he so I I've been talking you know talking to him, and this dude is so cool, and he's really into American death matches, and he really wants to make his uh, stab at it. The thing is, when he's in big Japan. It's like really hard to bust through. There's a lot of things in the way. Big Japan is a very old school company, and I think that there's just a perception that he's just too small to really be that that guy. So when he's in big big Japan, because they do have a bigger roster, he's mostly he's mostly doing the the tag matches. So he's coming into Freedoms, and he's going to be wrestling more in Freedoms, and they're going to be able to give him more singles matches and just more kind of a, a higher spotlight. But even so, he wrestled Fukumoto. This was a bring-your-own-weapon death match. Now, his big weapon is um, safety pins. He puts the safety pins into a, a board, and they're, they're, they're open. And I know that they mostly move to, to the side, and I'm sure it's not as dangerous as it, it looks, but it looks really nasty. So they were hitting each other with this board of safety pins, taking bumps on it. They took a spike and put it through their cheeks. Now, I was on the, the floor, so, and I haven't watched the, the video, but this spike looked way bigger than any syringe they've used in the the past. It looked pretty nasty, without a doubt. And um, I, I thought the match was good, but Fukumoto won in the end. And over and over, we're going to say this for each match, but... I don't know why Fukumoto is going over this guy if he's a guy that you're, in theory, building for the future. Exactly. So, I mean, yeah, go on. I mean, Fukumoto's went over him. He's went over Violento Jack. I mean, is he going to be, a, you know, a title contender soon? Are they planning on putting a belt on him? It makes you wonder. It seems like they're building him up. And even beyond that, you know, uh, he's going to be challenging. He's likely going to be challenging Kasai for the title. Doesn't make any sense to me. You know, Fukumoto just beat him. Shouldn't Fukumoto be challenging for the title? Right. So, unless, now we don't know. Maybe Sakuda is going to be just a stopgap, and maybe they'll have a one-on-one -on -one match at, like, Shinkiba, because drawing a, a Kurokin Hall crowd off of that, but uh, Freedom's first first Kurokin Hall of the year in March usually draws pretty poorly. Usually seven, eight hundred people. So I don't think it really matters. Like that's usually kind of a throw a throwaway show anyway. Um but yeah, so um I thought it was a really good match. You know, uh I would definitely go out and 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 uh check it out. Um next up they had like you said the the uh the six man brawl was um Chainsaw Tony, Minoru Fujita, and, and, and uh, Gunzo against Mammoth Sasaki, Takashi Sasaki, and Tomoya Hirata. Um, I was here live. This was awesome. The chainsaw was loud as hell. It scared the crap out of me because he, he, he came through through the crowd from be, behind me, and I didn't see him. And the first thing I heard was, I smelled gasoline, and then I, and then I just heard, bruh, 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 like, and it scared the shit out of me. Um, all over the place brawl, tons of blood, chairs flying, absolutely awesome match live. I don't know how it how it came off on paper, but live, awesome match. One of my favorite matches of the whole the whole whole trip. Uh, the finish was Gunzo pinning Harada with a leg drop again. 
Why is Gunzo pinning this guy? Harada, he's been in the company for a year now. The crowd really wants him to be a star. And I love Gunzo, but Gunzo is a mid-card tag team guy, you know? So I don't really know why they pinned him there yet again. Strange booking by Freedoms. At a time when we need new stars, it was just the same guys going, you know. And, and even so, I'm like, you know, Gunzo pinned him, not Fujita, because he's like a, a higher profile um, singles wrestler. And uh, I'm like, Harada could have easily got a roll-up pin on, on you know, Tony or anybody in the match. It, it was, like you said, strange booking. Um, let's see, there was the, the Lucho Libre death match. Um, Masaka and Jack against uh, Ciclope and Miedo Extremo. They have barbed wire on one side of the ropes and light tubes on the other. Wasn't really weapon heavy. Really good match. They had they used uh, the light tubes. They used a pineapple with uh, the toothpicks in it. Um, good Lucha Libre action. I won't go over it too much. Uh, Jack pinned Ciclope with his... Um, it's kind of like a, a one-winged angel into a side slam kind of move. Again, I... Don't really know why Jack... I mean, Jack is one of their main wrestlers, so I guess that makes sense. But after the match, they re, they relinquished their tag titles, saying they don't, have, they don't have challengers. And they put the tag titles up in a one-night tournament on January 3rd, and then they won back their, yeah, their, their own titles. Yeah, very strange. I wondered about... That was very, very bizarre. I was about to say that. That was an odd... It... I, I don't get it, and I... I don't know why they have the the titles anyway. Before the titles were held by uh, uh, Segura and Mammoth Sasaki, and those guys are like mid card guys, so they can wrestle the mid card tag team. You know, they can take any two wrestlers and create a tag title match. But now that it's on like the main event guys, it's harder to book those tag titles. So I don't really know why they even have them. To be completely honest, I guess just to. A lot of these companies don't really need ta like tag titles. Like my friend was asking me why 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 uh, why why Los Mazios have the GCW titles, and I'm like, well, GCW doesn't really ha really have any use for them because the roster j like it just isn't that big. And I feel like Freedoms is kind of is kind of the same way. Um, main event. Uh, Kasai defeated Takeda for the title. Um, couple spots, you know, they have the glass boards. They they had they had one spot that was insane, where Takeda did a free fall backdrop off of the ladder through a glass board. Kasai hit the splash. Takeda no sold it. Hits a suplex. Awesome spot. Kasai wound up winning with uh the Tiger Driver onto the razor the razor board. Good match, but not as good as a match in August, I felt. Um, I don't know. What did you think? Oh, I said the same thing just a minute ago. I preferred the August match. It was a good match, but the August match was better. So, um, hot on the heels of the show, uh, right on the morning of the show, uh, GCW announces that Jun Kasai is going to be coming in uh, for the February 16th show in at, in Atlantic City. Um, what was the reaction uh, uh, of this? Oh, everyone was uh, going crazy online. Uh, people wanted to know when the tickets. I must have had 15 people ask me when the tickets were going on sale. Uh, obviously a big, big reaction. Uh, Kasai is a 
a big thing over here. People were coming in from Texas, and I know some people coming from Europe to the show, um, flying all over the United States, Canada, Mexico. I know at least two or three from Europe. So, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big, big deal. I know that they sold out the, the front two rows, and I guess the third row is about to be sold out, and GA is moving good. So I'm sure uh, hopefully it'll sell out, obviously. Um, do you have any word on the building they uh, they might be using? No. Um, I want to see it said it. Give me one second here. I thought it was a uh, – oh, let me see here. All right, you got to say something witty now for a minute while I look this up. I don't <laughs> – I don't know why they aren't announcing the building yet because it's like people need to start making arrangements for hotels and stuff, you know? Hey, that's the Shobo Hotel Hotel in Atlantic City. Yeah. It's going to be at a casino, huh? Okay. I'm looking up the Shobo now. I can't imagine light tubes in a casino, but Shobo Hotel Casino. Well, it makes me think, you know, there was that uh, company that ran Vegas back in the 90s, and they would have, like, hardcore brawls with, like, Jack against Sabu, and they would go into the gambling section, and they would yeah, yeah. do... WC. Yeah. Yeah, they were doing spots yeah. on, on, on the tables, and chips are flying, and I guess at yeah, one yeah. of the shows, the gamblers got pretty pissed off. They sure did. Yeah. They did a desert death match, and they did like that cage death match with Virgil. <laughs> I'm still dying to see oh, a lot of that footage. I'm looking at the facilities. Let's take a look. Looks like a really nice hotel. Um, I'm trying to see if there's a, an arena in the two here. Policies, hotel info, reviews. Hmm. Hmm. Very nice looking hotel. Let's see. Atlantic City Silver. See if there's an arena or not. Showboat Casino Arena. Let's see. I'm not getting much about the the uh, arena. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure that, that there's some kind of. Go on. Got 1,300 rooms. It's a pretty big casino. Looks like it's you know right on the uh, coast, obviously. Uh, I just I don't know here. I'm trying to see if there's something about about an arena, but mm-hmm. let's see here. Sweet special things to do. Wonder if doing Kasai will be on the picture along with everything else. One thing is, it is a casino. cool. It is a cool place to fly in a foreign guy to where. You know, they can actually get out, like, I'm I'm guessing that they're going to, you know, put him somewhere near it so he can kind of get out and do some stuff and not be trapped in a fucking room the whole time, you know. But, um, okay, cool, well, I'm sure there's some kind of um, conference hall or something that they're going to be going through, so, okay, cool. So, uh, Jukasai, no word on his <laughs> opponent. One thing that I was told, so, after the Bloody Christmas show, I went out with Say Ozawa, Say Ozawa, the t-shirt designer, he did confirm a couple things. Number one, Ian Rotten owes him fucking money. He did confirm that, <laughs> and he wants his money still to this Shock. day. Shocking, Ian right? Rotten? Yeah. Ian owes someone. The sun's going to rise tomorrow, too. <laughs> yeah. And um, he also confirmed that um, Juke Asai has been trying to do a balcony spot at, 
at Kurokin Hall for the past year or so, and they've officially made a, a new policy. No more balcony spots. So from here on out, you will never see a balcony spot at at Kurokin Hall unless a company wants to burn a bridge, basically. So... Um, there was talk uh, back in the early 2000s that they wanted to ban the uh, glass from the building as well. So you know they've got to, basically there's a they've got a thing they don't want glass in the crowd anymore is the new thing. They like he was talking to me all about how like Kurokin Hall it was the Mike Samples fire incident that really set him off and like really pissed him off back in 2000. So um, okay so anyway so with Kasai injured. Um, oh, and one other thing that Ozawa kind of like hinted at me that so, someone told someone, then heard from this guy, and then he told me that all he said was, um, no word on the opponent, but apparently Kasai, um, uh, it's going to be someone that Kasai feels he can have a, a good match with. So pretty simple stuff there, but that was just kind of told to me that, you know, because um, I was like, oh, maybe it'll be this guy or 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 that guy and he was like no it's going to be someone more Kasai's style so you got to kind of think of who who Kasai is going to be feel comfortable in the ring with a similar style and everything so we'll see um I'm sure we'll we'll have an uh, an announcement of the opponent by the end of the month um so okay um as far as his injury goes um I would think now you mentioned that if he's got MCL damage um he's going to need a surgery and that will keep him out for quite a while obviously <laughs> But it sounds like if it's that bad, probably will. And yeah, he could be out for six to twelve months. I mean, let's see if it's that bad already. I mean, he's had bad knees, and he hits that splash in every in every rematch. You know, where his yeah. knees just but, bang on the ground. Yeah, he could have an ACL injury too. Once they dig into it, yeah, he could he could be out for the better part of a year if they have to operate. It sounds like if it's swelling up that bad already, that there's something obviously pretty wrong. Well, two things about that. The first is I would hope that he would well, and 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 again, the best thing is for him to do what's help, what's good for his health. I know that Jun Kasai doesn't give a shit about his health, but I would hope he cares about his health. But um, you know, GCW obviously. I mean, they announced this when he was pretty, you know, when he was healthy. And no wrestler is ever going to say that they're not healthy, except for Nick Gage. We'll get into that in a minute. But um, um. Obviously, I would. I'm sure that they hope that he's going to come through and be able to make this booking. I'm sure he will. I mean, he's taking time off, and I would think that this is a very, a very big booking. You know, um, a couple things I want to say. So when I was in Japan, I was able to go to the Freedoms Fan Fest. Um, I did distribute the DVD, so we were part of the merchant. So GCW was part of the merchandise stand at the Bloody Christmas show. Uh, distributing the sampler DVD. Um, when I was talking to Sasaki, he seemed really positive on on GCW and opening up relations with them. I don't know if this means that talent is coming over, but that would be the the most obvious thing. As we said, Freedoms really needs new talent, and um, you know, Cyclope uh, and Miedo. Extremo, there they can o they can only come so often because they've got families and everything, and um, so getting some new wrestlers would be really awesome. I know a lot of the GCW roster, they're very keen on going over if the opportunity uh comes about. So 
we'll see if that happens. I know that GCW is always keen on bringing over new new talent from from Freedoms and bringing them to America. So um, the GCW Freedoms connection definitely seems to be growing. I would think by the end of the month we'll we'll know more after the uh, the four hundred degree show. I I would assume that we're gonna know more more of it. You know, what I mean, um, have you been talking to any of the guys, or do you know anything about it? No, I, I really haven't been. I was still in the hospital most of the week. I really haven't spoken to too much. Um, you mean the the four hundred degree show? Well, well, anything. You know, I know oh, that hard. that. Yeah, well, I know that you've got a couple friends, but yeah, if you want to go over, so what is the yeah. card? The card coming up for the four hundred de, de, de degree yeah, show. Well, they got seven matches announced. They just announced one more tonight. Um, Jungle Boy versus DJZ. It looks like an old school card too. Five death matches, two non death matches, which I'm all about. Um, MJF against Jimmy Lloyd. Then we get to the death match portion. Marcus Crane and Nate Webb in a fuckery boards match. Uh, G. Raver and Orrin Vett in a death match. They just announced Matt Tremont and Reed Bentley in a death match. Uh, Dice K. Masoka and Ellis Cologne in a death match. And then this one I think really could be amazing. Nick Gage and Eric Ryan on uh, a death match. And, and maybe this will be the time. Maybe, uh, you know, we're talking about Gage injuries. Maybe this will be the passing of the torch. Maybe uh, Eric Ryan will walk away the champion. Um, so yeah, so uh, Gage posted uh, before the Dynasty show. He posted that he uh, he had a match at I I, I forget the company, and um, he put on Twitter that you know his knee is bad. It's really really bad apparently, and he's trying not to have you know uh, the surgery, which will will definitely put him out. But it's getting to that point where he might need it. And then go, going into the Dynasty show, uh, Shaheen and me were doing uh, commentary for it on his little podcast. And, um, you know, they were alluding that maybe it was an angle because it, it did play into the match with uh, Dickinson. But during the match, like, he his knee was buckling on power bombs and pile drivers, like, it looks like his knee is pretty bad, and um, Eric Ryan is a guy you know. The crowd loves loves him. You know, what I mean, Eric Ryan is is one of the rising stars, big time. He's got no fear. They're going to be in sh- Chicago, so they're going to be able to use glass and light tubes and blah blah blah. Um, if you were going to take the title off Gage, I think this would be it. You go in with, uh, you know, you you kind of highlight that he's he's injured, um, so you've got that out where he can keep his you know badass profile and stuff. And Eric Ryan, I mean, he's like a great guy to take it and kind of hold it, and then start to um, do like the main event death matches with it. So I think yeah, Eric Ryan might be a, a good choice versus so you know, and then the obvious choices would be Marcus Crane, Tremont, and Schlack. And but I think Eric Ryan might be the best choice. Where Eric Ryan will give you the best matches with the most diverse opponents of that group. I think. Yeah, and uh, Gage just did a fans bring the weapons match and beyond too against Josh Briggs. That was after the GCW show, and you could really see his leg was bothering him. It was quite evident in just his movement and everything. That's really, really too bad. Obviously. Um, uh, a couple other notes from Japan. I, I just want to go over this before we go on to the rest of the GCW stuff because we're going to review the Dynasty show and every every everything. Um, I was able to talk to Los Mazzios, um at a fan fest. Um, they basically just 
reiterated to me they were like look you know it's our visa situation we can't come to the u.s because of visas they do want to come to the u.s uh properly with work visas that they don't want to wind up like mike bailey where they get banned from the country and stuff and um just the current administration is making it very very hard that's all it comes down to they're making it very difficult but um all they told me was and this was after the fifth beer they said we just got some good news so we'll see but you know obviously they are the tag champs but um you know they're one of the highest profile guys on the indies and people are really clamoring to get them back in the the, the states absolutely absolutely it's okay uh, they're really uh, yeah. And Seco play, you know, won a tournament. Mateo went to the finals. They were definitely uh, on fire. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else I wanted to go over for that? I'm just kind of looking really quickly. Um, not much. I mean, those guys were really the <laughs> nicest guys ever. Oh, one other thing they kind of they brought out to me was they uh they're really excited to be in AAA because they kept on telling me over and over the money is really good there they were like the money is great there you know what i mean but they were like um Co you know they were like Co conan really likes them but the sponsors and the television apparently are starting to push back on the on the entire company as far as the death matches go we've kind of talked about it but apparently the television wants to start not airing them and some of the sponsors are kind of getting on them about it so, uh, hmm. yeah, that kind of sucks, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, if the, there's always ways to do it. And then obviously P Pagano is one of their biggest stars, but it's not just them. It's the fire. I guess the big thing is they don't want children emulating it. And fire is a big one as well. They really don't like the fire. They don't like the blood, the light tubes. It is what it is, you know? Um, well, so I'll be honest with you. I, I think the whole Mexican scene right now is kind of on hold. Um, DTU has been running shows, but uh, Guantos hasn't. Lucha Libre hasn't. Uh, NGX hasn't. Uh, Zona 23 hasn't. A lot of backlash after the incident with the cinder block. And I think the regulations have really amped up. So I think in general, that's going to affect the whole deathmatch scene in Mexico. I didn't even I think really about do. that. I really do. Yeah, there's. I've heard some talking from some friends of mine too, and it's really been you know, not a lot of shows lately. And, and you, you know, from none of them, even the odd little promotions that run a deathmatch show here or there. Um, so I think the regulations may be a lot stricter, and you may not see as what you were for a while because it's pretty much uh, no rules for a while, it seemed like. But uh, you know, they really got a lot of bad press from that. The whole country did, and it went worldwide. So. You might might be might be like back in Jersey in the day when Christine Todd Whitman pretty much chased out Combat Zone and chased made Jersey All Pro stop doing death matches and you know really affected the whole death match scene in uh, Jersey and in New York City because New York City kind of jumped on the wagon too because the UXW used to do some death matches so we'll have to see. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, one bad apple spoils the bunch. Um, speaking of which, I may as well bring this up now. Um, you follow the Russian stuff a little bit, like you find the little the the same clips that I find. Did you happen to see this fucking moron cut his arm open in Russia? Sure did, and I made sure I reached out to all the admins on my page and said we don't post this bullshit. Yeah, we let the other fucking 
We had the other idiot at the club post it, and he put a big post on there glorifying it. So if you're an idiot to do that, then you're an idiot to put it on your page and glorify it, then you two should stick with each other. Um, I find it stupid. I don't even want to give him any credit. I mean, he cut down into the fucking muscle. Yeah. He'd have surgery. smiling about it. That's not wrestling. That's fucking stupidity. Absolutely. This Absolutely. is really the point where it's not wrestling. Like, I've always given the Russian companies a lot of leeway in that they're they're building something brand new. It's a lot of backyarding stuff, but I give them leeway, and I'm like, look, they're building, they're learning, they're gonna they're they're gonna get better. On December 22nd, there was a show in St. Petersburg where a wrestler named the the Shaman, um, who he he's like a cult leader or something. He pulls out a real sharp as hell knife and cuts his arm i mean three inches deep it was disgusting absolutely awful and um i mean i got nothing else to really add but yeah don't i mean this is it it was disgusting it wasn't the spot it wasn't in a match like he cut his own arm open i mean this is spider boudreaux times 10 i mean this was disgusting um I would say it's worse because Boudreaux didn't cut his own arm open. Somebody else did. As stupid as that was, it was someone else cutting it. They, they attempted to make it a spot in a match. This guy sat there on the fucking floor and cut his own hand and then went out and started putting it in people's faces in the audience. Not that I'm going to stick up for deep Boudreaux in the South very much, but this was even worse, in my, in my opinion. I've got a lot of friends from from there and uh my russian friends i mean russia in general like i i I don't think i'll get in trouble for saying this because every everybody kind of knows it russia's extreme russia is insane people you know there's a lot of just alcoholism and blah blah blah, and people are just nuts and now that wrestling is creeping into russia it 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 makes sense that this is what you know if someone is going to die in a death match it's going to be in fucking russia that's all. I mean, that fire incident, you know, that that fire spot, that's just the 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 start. You know, I mean, it's going to get crazy over there fast and I don't know if I want to watch it cuz that spot made me sick to my stomach and it's still it I, I'm yeah. not lying, it really haunts me. Like I'll be be walking down the street and I'll just get a flash of that guy cutting his arm open and it really creeps me out. So, whatever. Yeah, I watched part of it, and then I reached out to everyone and said, we're not going to talk about this. We're not going to even put it on any of our pages because I'm not going to glorify stupidity. Um, it just it's, That's not what I love. I love deathmatch wrestling. That's not deathmatch wrestling. That's a mentally challenged person uh, doing something to cut himself to... I mean, I guess if that's the extreme, I mean, they hunt bears with spears. I guess that's pretty... Maybe we'll have a spear hunt bear deathmatch next. Hopefully no one in Russia is listening to this and gets that idea, but just uh, absolutely crazy. Uh, Kevin Brennan probably came in his pants watching that match, coming up with ideas for fucking next deathmatch mafia fucking bullshit fuck job show. Oh, well. Um, okay. Uh, well, I got a lot more Japanese news, but we'll head over to, uh, to America. Um, were you able to watch the Dynasty show? Not all of it, no. Okay. Uh, well, let us know. You know what were you able to see, and what did you think of it? Um, I loved Chris Dickinson and Nick Gage. I I thought that match was fucking awesome. Um, when I saw it on paper, I thought it'd be awesome. 
it just gelled well together. Um, I watched most of the tag match with, with Slack, and uh, that was all right. Uh, wasn't great. It was all right. Uh, Tremont and uh, Eric Ryan was kind of strange, kind of a quick match. Besides that, I really didn't watch much more of the show. Breaking news, Kenny Omega leaves New Japan Pro Wrestling. I heard he's going to show up at the Royal Rumble, so they keep hearing. It's official. He's either going to be AEW or WWE, but that's for a different podcast. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> uh, real quick on the Dy- the Dynasty show, uh, Chris Dickinson and Nick Gage was amazing. It was 18 minutes. I thought it was going to be a Nick, you know, one of the recent style gauge matches, like a kind of technical, a little bit of brawling. This was ninety percent brawling, and it was bloody. They had the barbed wire boards. They're hitting power bombs on the barbed wire boards. Pile, pile, pile drivers, backdrops. He's got the pizza cutter. Chris Dickinson is a dude who's really unique. You know, he's got the jacked look. Um, they're almost like weird Black Mirror twins. You know, they both got the black head, yeah. or I'm sorry, the bald head and everything. Um, but yeah, awesome match. Gage won with the pile drivers. Um, the tag match, I thought it was good, but not as good as the one from the last show with uh, the rejects. Okay. But um, I would assume that they're building up, you know, with the Mazios telling me that they've got good news. I'm guessing that they're building up Marcus Crane and Schlack as a team to take them on when they come back is my guess. Right. Um, I agree. Let's see. What was the other death matches on the show? Oh, Eric Ryan and Tremont. Were you able to watch that? I watched some. Of it. I didn't really love it. Yeah, me neither. It was really short. Um, That's right. Yeah, I just said it was real quick. It seemed like it was like four minutes. Yeah. Um, and we were talking before about um, Tremont and uh, Orin Vite, um, how they had a really short match as well. Um you know, we all know, like, I, I, I just wonder if, if Tremont's kind of, like, you know, hurting and he can't really do the long matches or something. Perhaps. So, um, well, so, yeah, uh, so Eric Ryan defeated Tremont. Uh, kind of a short match. He won. He speared him. Or, I'm sorry, he, I forget how, like, he, he, he moved out of a charge or something. But uh, Tremont went through a pop cam board and he just kind of rolled him up for the flash pin. Not my favorite finish. I always hate the flash pin, but whatever. Um, in the main event, PCO defeated Masato Tanaka. This was an ECW 1998-style match. I loved it from start to finish. Absolutely, absolutely loved it. They're doing guardrail spots, fighting in the crowd, chair shots to the head, which weren't the 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 steel-bending chair shots of 1998, but they were still pretty wicked. Uh, PCO won in the end, and I really didn't think he would. I thought Masato T- Tanaka would win and then take the title. Maybe they're going to do a tournament for the Extreme title. Maybe maybe they're going to finally make the Extreme title a death title. <laughs> yeah, but how do you do that when the entire card is death matches sometimes? How do you do what? Well, I mean, it, it's it's so weird that it's like, and this is the extreme title match, Tony Deppin versus Jimmy Lloyd in a simple match. You know? Maybe they'll finally rebrand it and make it a deathmatch title. I would think they it um, should be. Well, you know, extreme PCO, title. You know, they really highlighted the title, and and that title has always been right. like the the kind of oh, by the way, we've also got this title. 
But in this match, they were they were holding it up, and he was carrying it around. They were, were really showing you know show, showing it off because it is a cool title. It's got some skull on it and stuff. Um, but PCO at the end, he was like, "I'm gonna be back." So in theory, maybe he'll just be the champion until he comes back. I don't know. You know, we'll just have to to see. Maybe I thought his deal was exclusive with Ring of Honor, but we'll have to see. Well, I mean, I I, I think the uh, the I'll be back thing was like, you know, when I'm done with Ring of Honor and I'm ready to have my final countdown matches, he's going to come back then is what is what I kind of felt from it. So I'll bring him back in a year. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, nothing else to I'm trying to think I'm trying to think what were the other death matches from the show? I can't really think of any. Um the tag match, the no. stream up match, the gauge match, I guess that was really it. But um, really good show. Um, the non-deathmatch stuff, I can't really say, you know, it just kind of, um, you know, it's the same as you, you usually get, you know. Um, so, yeah, um, so coming up, um, we already talked about the uh, the 400-degree show. Oh, Necro Butcher. During the intermission, they announced that Necro Butcher is coming back for the Joey, the Joey Janela spring break. What do you think about that? Um... Oh boy, I love the Necro Butcher. I'll start out with saying that. Um, the next thing I'll say is I didn't think he was able to wrestle anymore. Um, because they keep saying that he's going to actually wrestle, and then being a New, New Jersey and New York regulations, it kind of surprises me because uh, I I thought there was a reason why he quit wrestling, but I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe things have changed. Um, I mean, besides all that, I love the Necro Butcher. He's he absolutely one of my favorites. I thought he should have went on to be bigger. I thought the WWE should have brought him in. He could have been another McFoley. Uh, he was phenomenal in Ring of Honor. He's phenomenal in Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Obviously, CZW and Mid South. He was great. I loved him uh, with the Age of Fall and Ring of Honor. It was one of my favorite factions of all time in Ring of Honor. Um, I think it's cool they're going to bring him in. I, I wonder. I mean, I know he's been doing a lot of speaking appearances lately. Um, but, you know, he hasn't wrestled in a long time, you know, a couple, two and a half, three years. Uh, like, what is the reason why he he uh, can't now? Is it is it like, um, you know, injuries, I'm guessing? I believe during a, you know, if I'm wrong, people, please bash me, but I'm just going on what I think. I believe during a tour of Mexico, he he contracted hepatitis. From some broken glass and blood. That's what I've heard on different things. I've never heard it come into his mouth, but I've heard it in a lot of different places. I I, I never knew that. Um, well. uh, could be completely wrong, and if I am, people can correct me. But I've heard that numerous, numerous times, and I've heard that from some other wrestlers too, not just from people you know on the internet. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's from a few friends of mine, wrestlers. I heard. You know, it wasn't he wasn't using drugs or anything? It's just he he. Caught it in you know in a filthy ring in Mexico, which I could believe. I can believe too. I hate those Zona Twenty Three shows when they take bumps and, on. And the... Necro always wrestles. Well, the thing was, Necro always wrestles barefoot most of the time. True. So, yeah. No, yeah. I always think about when those guys take like back bumps onto the dusty ground with shredded backs. I'm right. like, don't do that. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well. Um, well, uh, and, well, I mean, there are wrestlers with Hep's, with, you know, Hep who do wrestle, X-Pac being one, but does New, does the New Jersey State athletic thing, do they have different rules? I, I, 
I've heard that New York and New Jersey are pretty strict on having like a bloodborne diseases. I mean, I guess maybe if he doesn't do a bleeding spot or anything. I don't know, but I've heard there are pretty strict rules about it. I heard that's why he uh, he retired the first time. But like I said, I don't know that as a fact. He's never told me that. I've heard that just from a lot of different people. All right. So um, one thing that I was thinking, he, you know, he could be, he could be in the uh, the battle royal. That would be a really sure. good spot for him to come in. Um, and maybe you could even get around the commission by saying, well, he's not doing res. You know, he can come in and do one move and then leave. You know, I mean, the 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 battle royals are set up to cover people mostly, so it's not a bad game. I mean, there's no bleeding. I mean, if there's no bleeding. I mean, X Pac has wrestled New Jersey in the last five years. Yeah. So. I mean, perhaps it's just that. Uh, maybe it's just certain states. I, I know New York, I think, is pretty regulated. Maybe it's just certain states. But uh, who, who knows? I mean, yeah. I mean, he doesn't... Shit, he doesn't have to. And he can run out, punch a few people in the face, and people will be so happy just to see that. Um, And people keep on making the joke that he, you know, he he's looking like because he... He's got a new look. He's 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 an older guy. Yeah. He cut it, you know, he cut his hair and blah, blah, blah. And he looks like he's selling... Um, alchemy poison from the 1890s on the the wagon trail or something now, you know? Which is still he's, cool. he's not that old. He, he's younger than me. Yeah. He's not. He's in his early early 40s, I believe. He's in his early 40s. Please admit, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure. I could tell you in about two seconds, but I'm pretty sure. I know he was younger than I was because I was surprised once when I thought, but. I think he was born in 78. Let's see. I will tell you in one minute my investigation tool here. That's the same as Tremont. Someone told me they, they were like, yeah, Tremont's 29. I was like, 29? Like, when you hear those, because I'm only 32. And this style, yeah. man, it, it it takes a toll on people for sure. Oh, I don't see his birthday. I, I don't think he's very old. If he's... He's definitely not nothing more than his mid forties. He could be mid forties, but I don't think he's I don't think he's anything beyond that. Yeah. You know, one guy who actually looks great is uh Gage, but Gage also spent six years outside of wrestling. He's uh he's forty five. Okay. Or he's a little bit younger than me, like a couple months. Yeah, he's forty five. Gage is thirty eight. Pondo's forty nine. I'm just looking at some of the yeah, Pondo looks about forty nine. Tremont, you said? Tremont's twenty nine, I heard. Uh I mean, you know, it's not a secret, just someone brought it up to me the other day and I was like, Man, twenty nine, like he looks rough, man. Like obviously. Tremont looks really yeah. rough. Yeah, yeah. You know, they 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 wrestle a hard uh, they wrestle hard careers and go through a lot of injuries and things can kinda we gotta figure Matt really didn't start wrestling until about 2010. Yeah. I also always wondered, one thing I always wondered, I used to work at a plasma center, and they would tell us, you know, your body can regenerate the white blood cells quickly, but it, it regenerates the red blood the red blood cells over time, and that's why you can only donate whole blood once every six weeks or eight weeks or something. And I always thought, like, man, losing the amount of blood that these guys lose on a regular basis, it's got to do something to your immune system or something. Right. You know, sure. It can't be good. So, um, 
Well, okay. Um, some other talent announced for the spring break. Masato Tanaka, he's going to be coming back for the sprint, the the spring break. Um, and also, uh, Tank is going to be coming to Black Label Pro on April fifth. Uh, Mike, let us know, like, who wow. was Tank and what's he been doing for the past couple of years? Oh, Tank's been retired. Um, Tank was a even before Deathmatch Wrestling down south, Tank was one of those guys that was in NWA Wildside. Um, he was with the Devil's Rejects, if anybody can remember that. Uh, that kind of went on in anarchy, but before that, it was they were managed by this uh, guy, the Reverend. It was him and uh, Ezreal, uh, Gabriel, Iceberg. Uh, trying to think who else. Phil Shatter was with them for a while. It was a pretty long faction down south. And then he started doing death matches when Deep South came, and he actually won the first Deep South tournament against Necro Butcher. Um, really good wrestler in the ring, though. Did a lot of strong style stuff. Did a match for Matt Riddell from a few years ago at the, scene, the Summer Scenic uh, Wrestling Fest down in Atlanta. I thought it was really good. He's had some good matches with Drake Younger and Eddie Kingston, too, in Mid-South and Deep South. Really big, burly guy. Um, uh, real brutal guy. Um, had some cool death matches here and there, uh, but had some really cool strong style stuff too. He retired. Yes, he had a retirement match. I want to see what Tremont, uh, like last year, the year before, down in Atlanta, and uh, he's coming back, huh? For Black Label Pro, you said. Yep. Yes. Who he's wrestling or anything? Um, no, they just announced that he's coming back. Well, that's cool because you know he maybe he'll do more uh, shows that weekend too. Uh, just collective sounding like a cool thing. Yeah, you know Tanky a lot of he spent time deep south and I did mid south. Uh, anybody for an NWA Anarchy fan or NWA Wildside, Tank was there for years. Um, he even brought some of the deathmatch stuff and they used to have their annual uh, like war games cage deathmatch and they had some pretty wild stuff. Uh, but you know he teamed up with. Those guys in that Devil's Rejects factions for years and years, there's still remnants of it in uh, NWA and not in the Anarchy, but in WCW, WWC, yeah, WCP now, which is a new promotion down there in in uh, Georgia. All right, um, so we're gonna go over some results in a minute. First, I, I wanted to just kind of bring brings uh, one thing up. Um, I forget where I saw, it, but I saw that apparently Matt Tremont contacted Cody. Cody Rhodes about um, doing a uh, an appearance at the uh, the Bloody Burgers show when Cheeseburger couldn't make it. I'm guessing there was a connection through the Ring of Honor office, maybe. And uh, Cody had something else to do um, with AEW launching. I think it's pretty much official. The Cody Tremont match is not going to happen. You know, I mean, Cody Rhodes, he's got a mil, and plus he's got a knee injury. He's going to be out for six months. He's launching a. Uh, Company that's likely going to be a global scale company at the very, the very, the very, the very least national and possibly global level company. I yeah, I don't think he's coming to wrestle in a barbed wire match in front of two hundred and fifty people anytime soon. No, it's he just then the vice president of the company too. Um, they've got a lot of money backing them. They're not just some upstart that's gonna you know Tony Khan is worth seven billion dollars. Um, him and his father co-own the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they also co-own a big soccer club in Europe. They have all kinds of businesses globally. And he's a big wrestling fan. He was in the in the audience all in, and I, I think that was kind of their audition for him. So this company, you know, they're they're wanting to, 
you know, bring the show to Tuesday night and go head to head. And a lot of guys, you know, the Bucks and Cody are friends with a lot of these guys, and a lot of these guys are fed up with WWE. So I think you could see a lot of people jumping because they had the kind of money that can compete. You know, before McMahon, you know, Ring of Honor, other places really couldn't compete with that kind of money. They might be able to. They said that he's already uh, set aside. I know this isn't a death match thing here, but he's already set aside a hundred million dollars for initially signing talent. Um, it's the most exciting thing in wrestling in the past twenty years, without a doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm. Absolutely. Well, uh, well. When did WCW close? Two thousand one. So eighteen years. It's the most exciting yep. thing in eighteen years. It, it can make the WWE better. Because they were best when they were competing. Fuck the WWE. <laughs> Who even cares? Wait, exactly. But uh, I like NXT. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean people hey, will. People talk to me about well, what if the what if the WWE did this or that? It's like, dude, I just there's so much fucking wrestling that the WWE is literally the right. 19th company on my totem pole of shit I give a shit about. Like I just. I, I mean, so much would have to change for me to ever care. But AEW, it's a fresh start. Talent I like. We'll see. Yeah. But, like, if Kenny Omega goes to the WWE, and I'm a big fan of Kenny, if he goes to WWE, I'll watch one match and be like, oh, okay, he's going to be a singing lobster now. Okay, cool. Good for him. Like, I just don't, you know, I got no faith in that company. So, I just don't care. Singing lobster. He's going to come out as Sebastian. Yeah. On the <laughs> That'd be fucking awesome. Yeah. Sebastian. Sebastian, awesome. Sebastian Powers or something like know, that. They didn't do a bad job booking AJ. Yeah, I'll give him that. Yeah, it's but just, stuff is shit. But it's just the exposure because you see AJ every single week. That within uh, six months, you've seen every match. Like there's nothing new anymore after six months. It's just because there's so much television. Well, I agree. They have too many shows. They they should they uh they. What needs to happen for WWE to see? This is a horrible thing to say, but Vince probably needs to die. His booking is horrible. He freaks out. He does. His booking is just horrific. He is the biggest hindrance to the WWE right now. Hey, now. This Vince, man's Vince, horrible booking. Vince needs to step down. I always see that, and it's like, come on. We all know what that means. That's code for. This way. It's unfortunate to say. I, I don't think he'll ever take his finger off the pulse. Yeah. Which I don't blame him. It's his company, so. I know, but relax. Would you Would you want to still be writing TV and doing all that if you're 70 years old and a billionaire? You know, I've taken trips, right, where I've taken six weeks to go and sit on a beach and, you know, roll up a fatty and just, like, relax and do nothing for six weeks and yep. after 36 hours i'm bored out of my mind so i can understand you have a billion dollars well did you have a billion dollars no i didn't have a billion dollars <laughs> but <laughs> there are ways to entertain yourself longer than 36 hours but i know what you're saying it's just life yeah it's what makes it go but uh, it's just, yeah, AEW is very interesting. It's going to be interesting as to who they signed. I mean, they haven't really signed anybody big yet. They signed Brittany Blake, you know, obviously Hangman, the Young Bucks. Uh, but we'll have to see. I've heard a lot of New Japan talent is thinking about jumping to, to either AEW or WWE. I know there's a lot of people that say they're unhappy with the new management in New Japan. I'm excited. You know, they said Naito and Okada are more open to the idea of leaving now if the money was right. No. 
Okay, uh, well, going back to death matches, uh, by the way, if you want to hear about this, me and my friend Adam, we just launched a, a podcast called uh, The Wrestling Bubble, where we're going to just talk about more kind of mainstream stuff, and so I'll be talking about that in that, but this is this, so let's talk about this, you know. Um, uh, Lucha News. Well, wait, actually, first, my bad. Let's go over re- results. We have, like, H2O shows to go over and a few others, so, Mike, what results have gone over in the past week or two? Oh, hold on one second. Oh. H2O. H2O has your Christmas show. I just got to pull it up real quick. I know that in the main event of the Christmas show, um, Ron Matthews lost the H2O title to Alex Cologne. So it looks like they're going to be building up Alex Cologne. They had a little barbed wire cage kind of contraption match. Um, Kyle Maverick tried to interfere, uh, but Danny Havoc, who was the uh, referee, ended up uh, stopping that. Uh, Lucky 13 defeated Jimmy Lloyd. Looks like Lucky's making like a permanent comeback, too, because they've got him booked for the next show, too. Uh, Dan O'Hare defended the H2O title against Mark Angel. Matt Tremont defeated Cheeseburger. Uh, Drew Blood and Devin Moore defeated Aiden Ball and Bam Sullivan to win the uh, tag titles. Uh, Jimmy Chandolin won the Battle Royal, so it looks like he's going to be in the uh, Hardcore Kingdom now. That's the H2O. We already talked about the GCW results. I don't don't think there was much more besides that. We talked about Cage of Death. Uh, I've got some unsanctioned pro results, too, I can cover real quick. It just happened last night. Uh, I'll pull that up right now. Um, unsanctioned pro and their, their third show. Um, I've kind of enjoyed the first couple shows they've had so far. Um, they're a company in Ohio. They're kind of doing some interesting stuff with their 24-7 title. That might get a little old after a while, but it's cool for now. Um, they ran their third show. Um, they started a tournament for their unsanctioned pro heavyweight title. Uh, the first round, they had a sudden death scramble. Everett Cross defeated Jack Andrews, Bobby Beverly, Sage Phillips, Louis Montez, and Trey Miguel. In a non-tournament match, Dominic Gennari defeated M.V. Young. Uh, Alice Cologne defeated Marcus Crane in a tournament match. In a three-way tag match, I heard it was really, really crazy. Uh, the Rejects defeated the Ugly Ducklings and Slack and Maria Manic. I heard that match had some crazy spots. Uh, Mance Warner defeated Matthew Justice in a tournament round, but after that, Dale Patras ambushed Mance and took advantage of the 24-7 rule and beat Mance for the 24-7 hardcore title. The heavyweight championship round, the next match, Trey Lamar defeated Myron Mead. And then in the main event, uh, Casanova Valentine defeated Dale Patras, G. Raver, and Cody Rice to become the two-time UPW hardcore champion. All right. Yeah, um, they're coming. I don't watch them too much, I'll be honest. Uh, there's just too much to go through, but they always seem like they're putting on some good shows. So uh, definitely check that out. Um, let's see. So going into Lucha, what's going on in the Lucha world? Again, not a whole lot. Uh, I know DTU ran their uh, their anniversary show, and uh, they had a rematch of the Deathmatch tournament, and Crazy King ended up defeating Crazy Frank. That was kind of the AKE invasion angle. It looks like the 20th of January, uh, Zona's going to be running a show, but it doesn't really have a lot of talent announced for it yet. I mean, they have some posters out. Looks like Leviathan and Walton 
I'm just looking through here quick. Uh, Sequel to play in Medeo are supposed to be defending the GCW tag titles on the show, but it doesn't say against who yet. Looks like Lurarx retains on the show, Ultimo Gladiator. I'm just looking at pictures of, because it got posters, but nothing announced. Uh, Demonos is on it. Ovit is on it. X-Fly is on it. So they got a lot of talent on the show. They just haven't made an announcement to the wealth. They're teasing that their GCW tag titles are going to be defended, but just doesn't say against who yet. So that's going to be on the 20th of January. I'm surprised they haven't had more announcements yet, because normally they do. Um, looks like Macabre is going to be on the show also on Fly Store. Fly Star. So besides that, uh, DTU ran their show. There's no new announcements for DTU shows. I just checked Lucha World too to see. Um, Guantos is talking about February. I haven't heard anything yet from them. Uh, Lucha Lucha Libre Boom hasn't really done any death matches. I'm kind of wondering with uh, with death match wise, like we talked about a little while ago, obviously with AA. AAA and things being limited. I really think that cinder block affected uh, the deathmatch scene in Mexico quite a bit with that fucking asshole through that cinder block. Because there really hasn't been as many shows. There haven't been as many announcements. And I know they've been having problems getting arenas locked down. Uh, NGX, same way. They haven't got anything going on until the new year, until about until February. So not really a lot of loot to lose right now. You know, it's kind of scary. So hopefully we never have anything stupid like that happen over here because one stupid thing like that, and it could totally destroy the deathmatch wrestling. You know, one idiot to do something stupid. Just like the same thing in Russia that we talked about a minute ago. One moron to do something stupid um, in, in this country would definitely impact our scene quite a bit. My um, my friend who, you know, he's staying down there, he, he told me that um, that Cinderblock thing, like, that was on the new, like, not initially, but a couple weeks later, apparently, it got more steam, and it was on the uh, national news story, and one of his students who knows he watches wrestling, his student came in and asked him, like, you watched this? And my friend didn't even really know about it, because he watches, like, CM, you know, CMLL and stuff, and he was like... Apparently, like, the general public, uh, and again, we're talking anecdotal stuff, but his student was really disgusted, like, this is wrestling? Are you kidding me? I can't believe this. So, yeah, that cinder block thing, man, in a couple of, er, in a couple months, maybe we'll be writing a big story about how that, you know, spelled the end of an era or something. Well, very well, it could be, too, because... Generally, especially especially your people in your thirties or forties, there's always some some bloody lucha matches out there, but they don't use cinder blocks or light tubes. You know, they're the big flashy costumes, the six man matches. Um, that's that's lucha libre. The death match lucha libre scene is really something that didn't come about till I would say around 2000, 2001 with LA uh, XM. Besides that, I mean, was there some bloody matches? Sure, there's some bloody matches, but there wasn't light tubes or thumbtacks. And even then, between them and MGX, they really stayed underground. It wasn't until the last couple of years that some of these companies started making more headway. But they're still not popular to a degree like in Japan or some other countries. Um, Lucha Libre is, is very ceremonial. Uh, costumes, things like that. I really don't know how far the deathmatch scene could go. They're drawing some crowds, but... You know, it's not accepted. There's a certain exception. But like you just said there, you know, the first fun that disgusting. Well, it was. So it very well could be the end or, or a drastic slowdown to the deathmatch scene in Mexico. We'll see. It's okay. 
Um, I'll let you go over. Um, what are the upcoming shows in the U.S. that we've got coming up? Was there anything that we missed? Uh, H2O. It's got a lot of things going on. Let me just pull it up real quick. I know that Slack and Gage is supposed to be coming up this month, too, in New York City uh, for a uh, underground uh, no-ring match. I just got to double-check the date on that. Um, January 27th, King of Pain. It's like a good show. Uh, the King of uh, Subterranean Violence 4. King of Pain taping. Sounds interesting. Let's take a look. King of the Underground. I don't know why I keep saying King of Pain. King of the Underground taping. Okay, so, so far, a lot of talent announced. A couple of cool matches have been announced. Um, Lucky 13 and Alice Cologne in a Doors, Sliders, and Chairs match. Uh, G. Raver and Ron Mathis has been announced. A lot of talent. Uh, Dan O'Hare, uh, Devin Blood and Drew Moore, Slack, Jimmy Lyon, Stockade, Mitch Fallon, Jeff Cannibal, um, Casanova Valentine is going to be returning there. Drew Chaos, Matt Trema, G. Raver, Jimmy Lloyd, Danny Gallagher, Lowlife Rui Ramos, Connor Claxton, Chuck Payne, Ron Mathis, Brandon Kirk. A couple recent announcements were Eric Ryan, which is cool, Eddie Only. But that did a great job at the So You Want to Be a Deathmatch Star Tournament last year. And Raven Havoc, a guy who has been running those unholy, warf- unholy warfare shows in North Carolina that supposedly got taped that a year and a half later aren't out yet. So, yeah, a lot of talent. That's a lot of Deathmatch talent announced. That's going to be an all-Deathmatch show. Uh, tickets are $40, a little bit higher than normal. But they're also having a Royal Rumble viewing party so includes food and drinks so if you're around there i mean 40 bucks you can go watch the royal rumble have food have some drinks uh and then watch this uh underground taping for subterranean violence for sounds like a good deal sounds uh sounds like a good good deal and also the h2 wrestling center now uh from tuesdays and thursdays when at nights um, he's selling tickets and stuff out there because his store officially closed down. And then also the underground tournament for H2O is going to be in March. Um, they've announced Marcus Crane is going to be making his H2O uh, debut in that tournament. Uh, Jimmy Chondo Lynn, and then they just announced Orrin Vedic. It's going to be a 12-man tournament this year. So it's going to be a few more competitors than previous years. So I don't know how the brackets will be, but Matt says he's going to make it a really big, crazy tournament this year. So that's what's going on H2O. Uh, UEW, California, February 9th, has a, a I Quit death match uh, at Fuck the World, Back to Brutality. Um, it's going to be Carnage against Fern Owens. They haven't announced any other matches, but they have announced they're doing a lot of shows this year. Uh, their calendar has nine shows up. Which is uh, is quite a few shows for uh, for those folks. Uh, Sovereign of Slaughter Four is going to be in March. So I imagine we'll probably be hearing pretty soon competitors for their uh, annual deathmatch tournament they have out there in California. Um, February also in February eighteenth, I believe, is uh, the H two O, not the H two O, but uh, uh, excuse me. The uh, Blood Brothers show with Matt Tremont and Neil Diamond Cutter and Slack and BC Killer. Um, on the 8th of April uh, in Louisiana, they're having a No Peace Presents Gauntlet of Death. It's going to be Casanova Valentine, 
Barrington Hughes from MLW, G. Raver, Wolf Taylor, Brennan, Teddy Stigma, Cody Rice, and Ryan Fox in this gauntlet of death. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, Barrington Hughes is not someone I've ever seen do a death match. So it's kind of interesting that they have him. He's a real big fella, real, real big guy. Um, never thought of him being a death match guy, but that's uh, that's kind of the news there. CZW's going to be doing their 20th anniversary show in February. Hasn't really announced anything about it yet. It's just got a poster with Mance Warner on it. That's kind of what's going on in the United States. Awesome. Okay, so um, I got a couple more Japan notes, and then we're going to uh, go to an interview at the end of the show. But um, let's see. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the Fight Club Pro Show. Um, so uh, Jimmy Havoc, Ricky Shane Page, and – oh, God, I forget the last guy. Drew Parker. Drew Parker, Drew Parker. thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, they've been uh, – so they're in Japan. Um, the Fight Club Pro Show is going to be in about six hours from now. Um, Kasai is out. The main event was going to be a four-way with those guys and Kasai. Um, Kasai obviously could not compete. Takeda will, will be taking his place. Um, oh, so wow. Which, yeah, I think it makes, you know, makes for a, a better match, obviously. But yeah. maybe a little less high profile. But um, I, I, I don't think anyone will be at all mad at that, you know. Um, it was really funny. I actually was able to talk to Kasai about it, and I was like, um, yeah, you're doing a four-way. And he goes, yeah, why? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, why four-way? And I'm like, and again, I'm like, I, I don't know. What do you want? You know, I don't know. And he goes, no, four, four people, tag team, tag team, good. Four-way, not so good. I'm like, okay, well, so um, it was just really funny. Um, one other thing. Ta- Takeda was talking to me, and um, I told him that the NGI3 was great and blah, blah, and he was like, oh, no, bad show, bad show. I'm like, what, why? And he goes, the show didn't end until 2. Apparently, the reason they made the four-way was because they ran out of time. They literally ran out of time, and they all wanted to get the fuck out of there. So they were like, let's do a fucking four-way, plain and simple, and let's just get out of here. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, also, um, I'm sure if anybody read in the, my newsletter, DJ Hyde has a horrible (laughs) reputation. Absolutely horrible. I went to a little party, uh, and wrestlers and fans are all just laughing and saying, fuck DJ Hyde. I'm never going to work for, for, for the, you know, for Hyde and blah, blah. And it was like really funny to me, but I wound up with a bunch of wrestlers and fans telling me, fuck DJ Hyde, fuck DJ Hyde. And it, it just grew into this raucous chorus. And it was really funny. Um, breaking, Japanese, breaking news. Yeah. Japanese 21st. fans. They, <laughs> yeah. In Mudlick, Kentucky, CZW will be taking on Idaway Deep South in the alligator death match with Kevin Brennan making his wrestling debut as Boris Duque against DJ Hyde. Oh, God. More to be announced. All right. So, um, yeah, though that word travels fast, man, and people in Japan know about DJ Hyde's reputation, which surprised me because usually that part of the business stays a little private. But man, everybody knows about him with Onita, him with the you know the, the Kasai, Kasai crew right, back right. in twenty fourteen. Yeah, I mean, people really know. So anyway, um, let's see what else about the Fight Club Pro. You know, they've been wrestling for Big Japan, so you'll find highlights of that of those shows on Battle Men. Maybe they'll make their way to the BJW Core Service when that relaunches next month. Um, I got a question. 
Yeah. Go ahead. Um, will the two BJW shows that uh, the uh, Fight Club Pro guys will they both tape? Were they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the one show you know the that's show on the, the show on January fourth that that's like a big standing show and that's always taped. That should be airing on Nico Nico very soon, if not already, and then it'll be on the core service later. You know. Um. So yeah. Um, let's see, uh, Sakuda, he challenged Kasai after the January 3rd show, we, we are, we are, we already talked about that, Onita gave a, an interview saying that <clears throat> he's going to be wrestling in, uh, the UK in January, which I know that the Rise promotion are trying to lock him in, one second, the Rise promotion, they're, like, they're, they're trying to lock him in, which is interesting because Rise is not a big sh- company at all. Um, so I'm right. kind of surprised that it's them and not Progress or Fight Club Pro or somebody. But um, Onita says he's going to be in the UK in January. It's January 7th, and there's no announcement, so we'll see. Um, he's also going to be going to – I'm sorry? No, go ahead. All right. Um, he's also going to be going to – he claims he's going to be going to uh, Australia – um, I know yep. that representatives from MCCW, Melbourne Championship Wrestling, that's the company that Mad Dog works for. I know that they were meeting with Onita on the 3rd, or no, 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 the 5th, the 5th, I'm sorry. I know that they were meeting with him, and um, they've also sent feelers for other Japanese talent. They're really trying to get the boat rolling. They're also sending feelers to some American companies. So MCW, they're really, inter- like, they're really interesting. I-, I was able to sit to chat with them a few times actually and they were um they apparently own like four companies they own a uh they they own the mcw company then they own a rock a rock and wrestling company that tours the the rock and roll clubs then they own a women's company and they own like i think a fourth company and they tour like 10 cities every six weeks or so they own bcw also yeah so they're they're really interesting, and I know they're trying to get some Japanese talent, and they're trying to lock them in with the idea of like, look, we can give you multiple bookings over a, a ten day period, and um, they're really trying to grow and everything. So uh, um, I'm I'm actually hoping to start having one of those guys on uh, uh, for the show to do a fifteen minute Australia update is what I'm hoping to do. Um, uh, let's see, Onita also says he's going to be going to Mexico. We'll see. Yeah, I, I've heard. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, as we said, we, you know that whole situation is funky down there. So we'll see. Excuse me. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Takeda, he won. Not he won the fifth, fourth, third, and first place prizes for best match of the year at the Samurai TV um, Indie Fan Voting. Uh, Kodaka versus Takeda was number one match of the year. And then he went on to win the MVP award of the year, uh, which, I mean, obviously. Who else could it be, right? Um, he's announced that he's going to be wrestling abroad more. He, he, he's, um, I know he's going to be wrestling in America uh, in the next couple months. I'll leave it at that. And um, the Australia thing. I mean, those guys, like, they want to bring in foreign talent. He says he wants to wrestle abroad. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the guys they're talking to. It just makes sense. Um, and he's also officially has a sponsorship from the Rapace Owl Cafe, which I was able to go to this. These animal cafes are really popular over there, and it's where you pay money 
So I went. I paid about fifteen dollars, and that granted me a one hour sitting with an uh, uh, an owl. They put an owl on your arm. And um, they were like, what owl do you want? And there was one owl that was staring at me, and he looked really pissed. And I was like, I kind of want that one. I feel like he he's my spirit animal right there. And um, they put the owl on your arm, and they give you a tea or a juice. There's no, no, no uh, liquor, but they gave me a juice. And after like 30 minutes of me sitting here with this owl on my arm, I was like, all right, I think I'm done. Thank you. You know what I mean? But um, – they're officially sponsoring him, and when I went in with my shirt on, they were like, oh, the crazy kid, and he brought you here, so cool. So um, he actually, they've sewn the Rapace logo into his mask and his shorts, and if you actually look, uh, look um, up close, he actually has a lot of sponsorships of local businesses. So I'm sure Takeda makes a decent amount of money from those local sponsorships, which is really good for him, obviously. Um, let's see, one other thing, last thing I wanted to go over, and then... We can do whatever, and maybe we'll be done. So I was in Japan, and I went to one of those 666, uh, for lack of a better term, gay shows. People, if you don't want to hear – if for some, if in 2019 you're still uh, uh, uncomfortable hearing about gay stuff, stop listening right now, okay? So we all know about the, these gay shows. They're sponsored by a gay magazine, apparently. Like, a gay porn mag sponsors these shows. I went to one of the, these shows that featured Tsukamoto, Ueki, uh, Koji Ta, Ta, Takeda, which he's pretty openly gay, but he's he's a 6'6 a six, six, six wrestler who's got this incredible body. There's no other way to say it. Like, he looks like, a, a, he looks like Brock Lesnar shrunk down. I mean, he looks just incredible. But um, who else was on the show? Frank uh, Frank Atsushi was on the show. A couple other wrestlers that we know. Uh, Ryuchi Sakin was on the show. Onryo, of course, etc. And this was a gay show. These guys were wrestling in their tidy whities The tidy whities got ripped off. They're wrestling naked. Their dicks are hanging out. They're getting into roll-ups and spreading the butt cheeks. You can look right up your favorite wrestler's butthole. Um, they oh. are rolling onto the crowd naked, covered in sweat, and doing the whole, I can't get up, I can't get up kind of thing. And they're just rolling all over the crowd. They are, I mean, this was a two-and-a-half-hour show. They're playing rock, paper, scissors, strip poker. They're playing... Um, I wound up in a battle royal uh, where they put me on their shoulders. Ueki was my my tag team partner, and I'm on top of his shoulders, and they have other fans on shoulders, and we have to rip off the headbands, and I won, so I'm king of the mountain. They played uh, naked musical chairs with a couple of the fans. Um, I mean... Were you clothed during all this? Or? I was clothed, yes. Uh, they tried to rip my clothes off. <laughs> Picture. There was uh, okay. there was no photos allowed, no cameras, no videos for obvious reasons. Um, I, I I think that's mostly to to protect the other people's privacy who come to these shows. But um, I don't know for anyone who want to know what these shows are like. This is what it's like, guys. There was three matches and a whole lot. I I always joke when when like you know when there's like you know a uh, a Joey Ryan match. I call it uh, I call it dick grabbing and butthole chasing and stuff. And this was blowjobs and ass grabbing. I mean, this was literal blowjobs and literal ass grabbing. Um, 
Wow. So yeah, wow. I'll leave it at that, man. <laughs> so uh, Mike, that covers everything I want to talk about. Maybe I'm sorry if I talked too long. I had a lot of Japanese news to go over, but Mike, is there anything else that you want to go over? No, no. I, I just uh, thank everyone again for their positive thoughts, and I uh, I might be a little bit behind. I'm I'm in the process of catching up because uh, I didn't have my phone on me at all in the hospital, so I uh, I just didn't. You know, I lost a week, so still catching up to everything so thanks for all the uh positive notes and thank you for that gay story Stephen. that was an interesting story and also in general you know i was really nervous in that i was like man we're gonna do the show and it's gonna go on for hours because we haven't done a show in two or three weeks but it's the holidays nothing really happened you know it was pretty slow news week yeah. so all right. Oh, once we had once we had the interview on it, it'll be a pretty long show still. Yeah. So, uh, so okay. Yeah. So, uh, who did we get to talk to, Jeff? Or uh, I'm sorry, Mike. Uh, we talked to the gentleman that's shooting the Hard Way uh, documentary. Um, he's been going around all different promotions. Um, you know, kind of giving you a backstage feel, and the wrestlers are doing interviews with him, and you know, he's covering. You know, them planning out the matches. And, uh, you know, if you're into kayfabe, don't watch it. But it looks like a really cool, cool uh, thing. He's uh, shot some other documentaries. He shot the Larry D one and did some other stuff. Um, he's working on doing some stuff with the Rejects right now, too. So it's kind of a, a cool project he's got going on. And uh, hopefully it'll be out in the next six months so we can all uh, well, enjoy it. All right. We're going to throw it to him right now. Hey guys, welcome to a little bonus episode that we're doing for Deathmatch News Radio. Um, on the line we have Jeff. Jeff is from the Hardway documentary. Um, real, uh, real quick, Jeff, if you want to let people know, where can people find you and what are you doing with this little movie? Okay, so the uh, they can find me at outthewindowmedia.com or the easiest one is... Uh, the Hardway Film. I think it's hardwayfilm.com. Let me make sure here. I don't want to give you all the wrong web page out there. Uh, but it's uh, it's hardwayfilm.com is uh, where they can go on there. They can keep up to date with everything. And it also links directly with uh, with my production company's web page as well. So, um, and, and, you know, as far as Hardway goes, it's, uh, it's, truly a labor of love it's just me i'm a one-man crew uh with a couple friends just kind of traveling with me at times but uh it's basically to show the passion and the legacy and uh the the true uh specialness i guess you would say of of death match wrestling Awesome. So yeah, like honestly, this so I saw you first advertise this quite a while ago, and now it's kind of coming together as you're, you know, you're you're putting up photos of you interviewing the rejects recently, G Raver a couple of weeks prior. And um personally, you know, I've always loved wrestling documentaries. Obviously, Beyond the Mat is like the 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 classic, but there's a few others. Um, I guess what I want to ask first of all, and then I'll let Mike kinda kinda go over it but um like where did this passion come from like at what point did you say man no one's made this movie and like what do you hope to accomplish with it well the, it all came about because i was doing a uh, documentary for a local guy here that started to get some national exposure now uh 
called Legendary Lady, and um, I do production for his wrestling promotion in Kentucky. So, you know, we, we got together, and, and he said, you know, I'd like to have this documentary made. I've always had this vision. And I was like, okay, cool. So I basically just traveled around with him, and I've known him for years. So one of those trips, we went to uh, IWA Mid-South, which I've been a fan for years of that. I've watched IWA since they first started. Um, I actually have uh, the very first King of Death match t-shirt. I got it um, from when I was just, you know, a simple fan. And so then we went there and I was sitting backstage and they had just had, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Guardians or something like that. Or it could have been King of the Death that year. They had just had it. So there was all these, these props still destroyed sitting backstage while I was kind of filming Larry's stuff. And I was like, man, there's there's a story to be told here. Um, and then I went to uh, Prince of Death match with a good friend, Maria James, uh, amazing Maria. And, you know, I was like, OK, there's a real story to be told here. So that's what kind of sparked. Uh, I'd already done another documentary and then Larry's, of course. So I, I was two documentaries in. And I said, I want to do this. I want to do this deathmatch documentary. Uh, I think it would be great. But now I've got to kind of get myself back into that kind of underground uh, of of the deathmatch world because it's sometimes not easy to to break into these things. And as a as a documentary filmmaker, that's the first thing you got to learn is how do I you know submerge myself into this environment and and get in there and my whole standpoint from filming anything is especially with this one is i want to be a fly on the wall so i don't want to be in their face i want to be across the room or i want to be where they don't even know i'm filming and that's when you get the true moments and the true uh just reality of the situation so that's that's kind of what started it and it's been a uh an amazing journey so far. Awesome. Mike, um, if you want to, if you want to go over, uh, go for it. Sure. Um, obviously you shot the, uh, documentary with Larry D, uh, which uh-huh. is very good. Uh, and you, you know, worked, been around him, a lot of, uh, straight wrestlers who wrestle straight matches. Would you say there's a difference between kind of the psyche or the, just the general self of the of a deathmatch wrestler versus that wrestler that does that straight kind of thing that would say, oh, my God, I'm not going to do light tubes or barbed wire. I mean, you know, being around these folks for so long, what's the kind of difference in the makeup of them? Well, I think, honestly, you know, deathmatch wrestling gets, gets uh, crapped on quite a bit. And to me personally, I think it's just another style. Uh, you've got, you know, like Lucha style. You've got, um, you know strong style you've got all all these different styles well it used to be there was a whole little kind of plot of guys that really couldn't do much so they just swung stuff at each other well that's not like deathmatch wrestling today deathmatch wrestling today has evolved where you have some very 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 talented people involved in i mean they are very very good and uh, these guys don't just do this style now. They do all kinds of other stuff. Um, you've gotten some deathmatch guys that have gotten signed by major companies. And uh, people don't know that they had that little deathmatch pass. So I honestly just view it as another style. 
Um, you know, some guys will never do it and they have no desire to do it, but some guys will. So I think, again, it's just kind of another style of, of wrestling. And, um, you know, I wrestled for, for almost 20 years. I was in the business, still am with the production stuff. So I understand, but I was always a fan of that. I mean, going back to, I remember when I watched the King of the Death from, uh, from Japan, and my friend at school, I mean, I was in high school at the time, and he was like, listen, this is what I've watched. And I was like, man, that's no way that's real. They're, they're using, he was telling me these stories about barbed wire and Cactus Jack and stuff like that. And I was like, that ain't real. You're, you're lying. And then when I actually got to see the video, I was like, wow. So then I was hooked. So then I got into the, the whole tape trading and FMW and Big Japan and the craziness that goes there. So I've been a deathmatch fan for, I mean, as long as I can remember. Okay. Um, I've I've kind of stated I think this last year has been maybe the best best year deathmatch wrestling's ever had. I kind of feel like it's a golden age of deathmatch wrestling. Where do you feel deathmatch wrestling can go in 2019? I think the sky's the limit. I mean, you've got some of these deathmatch promotions outdrawing major promotions. I mean, when you've got, you know, some of these tournaments are drawing thousands of people. Um, You know, they're selling out buildings where other companies are not. You know, some companies that are legit wrestling, as some people call it, um, they're not selling out buildings at all. They're barely getting two or 300 people in there. But then you've got some of these other promotions that are doing this kind of hard style that i mean they're packing the places so i think that i think the sky's the limit i mean you've got some guys that are very dedicated to things and i mean they are very passionate about that style and when you have that and they really 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 appreciate the fans and i mean it's like a big family and i think when you have that 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 sky's the limit with it really i mean it's it's crazy to see it grow like that sure now uh if i live in mexico or if i live in japan i can turn on my regular tv and i can see deathmatch wrestling it's obviously more accepted over right. there um how can deathmatch wrestling get onto american tv and will it ever i don't think it ever will uh just for the simple fact of all the rules and guidelines that television has uh american television is when you compare it to other countries, it's very watered down. You know, it's very, um, there's hardly any foul language, you know, extreme stuff. Uh-huh. There's no nudity. Uh, there's very little blood or gore unless it's, you know, obviously fake. Right. So, I mean, I, I, you know, Walking Dead even pushes the, the limits at times. So sure. I think as long as you have those, you know, the, the rating systems in place that I don't think you'll ever have it on television. Well, they do do also deathmatch pay-per-views and whatnot. Oh, sorry to interrupt you. And my only thing being with, do you ever think like maybe some crazy pay channel might say, you know what, midnight, let me do a GCW show because I hear it's got this cult following. I, I really think that the pay channels are starting to die. Um, I think the only people that really use those nowadays are, are the big promotions, and that's because they have to reach those people that do not have internet. Um, so, I mean, when you look at GCW and you look at, I mean, GCW, prime example, they're on Fight TV. 
And I would I would love to see the buy rate that they do because I'm sure it's insane. So I mean they're already they're already they've already broke through that glass ceiling as far as that go. I think the old days of old pay-per-view is is kind of in the past. Well even maybe not in pay-per-view so much. Maybe like some extreme channel like Showtime Extreme or some Now there's there's your market. You know, that's where you can do some stuff. Right. That's right. Um, you know, I think that Showtime and and uh, probably Showtime more than anything because they they kind of push that that barrier sometimes. Um, you know, it was. I think that there would probably be a home for that there. Yeah, I've always thought that that maybe if some executive or somebody you know ran into this and said, "Oh wow, you know, this GCW thing, I could even do like a ten part series behind it or something something like that." Yeah. You know, maybe not a straight wrestling show, but uh. Well, I just want to say say one thing about that. You know, I remember uh, there was uh, some comment on some some message board I saw. See, it's it's a whole thing about in America, people are very willing to to sue. And I want to go right back to a couple months ago. GCW lost a venue because one of their stars had you know has a felony record. So it's like I. I, I would be – and then, you know, the ECW revival, the reason that died was because WWE, a publicly traded company, they couldn't be attached to a company where people are getting hit in the head with chairs when they could get – you know, when they could get a lawsuit. The NFL, they're possibly on the hook for all kinds of players, you know, being hurt and stuff. So I would be very surprised for Showtime if they put money or backing behind a company like this. Well, that, that, and that makes sense. Pet- it truly does. And, yeah. and that truly makes sense uh, because of the liability there. And, and not saying these guys would do would sue anybody. But here's the thing. Say somebody actually uh, has a severe injury and and could could die in the ring. And then what do you get into? Or so, fans. I mean, yeah, I could see that. Or yeah. fans, you know? Yeah, or a fan, because we know ourselves, and I've seen myself, uh, fans kind of get get smashed with things at times. So, uh, but you know, I've, I've seen some amazing things filming this stuff. Right, and you're exactly right, but at the same time, if someone was to lift the blinders and actually do a study, uh, no one's ever died in a death match. I can name 20 professional wrestling matches that people have died. Uh, on a national oh, pay-per-view, yeah. someone fell from a ceiling. Uh, because of a bad rig and died. Yeah, I think that what they would probably do is they would almost probably have to outsource and just carry it. Where it wasn't exactly full blame on them. They're basically just buying the pre- package right. program and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to air it. We're not going to actually be behind it. I think that's probably what you would have to get into. Steven? Um, yeah, I wanted to talk about like what are some of your favorite, uh, you know, uh, you know, what are some of your favorite docs, you know, because because pe- people know uh, beyond the map, but some of the others there's like card subject to change. There's one called Crimson Mask Memories or something like that. You know, I used to really seek these out, and I've always had a pretty good time watching them. So, what are some of your favorites? Um, beyond the Mat, of course, started it all. Um... You know, but beyond the mat, there is some creative license there. Uh, you know, as we found out years later, that uh, it's all up to the editor. You know what I'm saying? The the editor sometimes can mold things into whatever. Um, but beyond the mat, of course, is cool. I really like card subject to change. I enjoyed that one. I enjoyed that one quite a lot. 
Um, because one I think them, it shows the reality of it. One of them that gets a little bit over ver look, but it was really thorough. You know, um, MTV they did you know they had that series called True True Life, which I think is one of the really it's it, it's a really great series, and it, it's always been like, like top notch. And they had that True Life. I'm a pro wrestler. They followed uh, they followed Triple H in China. Uh, in 1999, when they were having their big rise, they followed um, Les Thatcher School, Les Thatcher uh, School, and uh, one of their trainees. They followed Tony Atlas when he was, you know, where you get to see the retirement guys in the venues with like a hundred people in them and stuff. And I thought that was a really great one. I thought that was really, really, really thorough. Um, I think Netflix could almost do a series like that um, today doing that kind of stuff and i think that it would be huge um but you know i i really like those i like the reality of it and that's one thing that i've i've committed to as far as hardway goes is i don't want it to look like anything that it's not so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it anything that it's not i want people to see the reality behind it i want these i want the fans to be able to see backstage when they don't have a shower and they're trying to get cleaned up and they're trying to get, uh, you know, bandaged up enough where they can make a six hour car ride or a seven hour car ride. So, I mean that I want people to see the reality, the bare bones, the reality behind it, the true passion these guys go through and the stuff that they just, they put their entire body on the line just, just for the people. And I think that's important to show. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of what I've committed to with the documentary. Speaking of which, um, so, you know, not to spoil it, not that there's any spoilers, you know, it's all been said, you know, we've all seen it, but you know, what are, so what are some of the shows that you've, that you've been able to film at so far? And what are some of the, uh, you know, what are some of the, the little moments that people can look forward to seeing based on what you've done so far? Um, so, uh, filmed at CZW, um, I've got access to them, H2O, um, IWA Mid-South, VOW, um, I don't know if I'll be able to hit deep South or not because I may be done by then. Um, but you know, some of the moments that I've captured are those moments where a guy's getting ready to go to the ring. So you get to see what he's like before he goes the mindset, you know, the mindset before he goes out to the ring, you get to see the pure carnage of a guy coming back from a match and he's destroyed. You know, he's, he's bleeding everywhere. He, he's, he's a mess. Now you get to see that stuff. Um, so that's what I wanted to show. So a lot of my stuff that I film, I film ringside, of course, for big stuff. Big, you know, but a lot of it is backstage. You get to see that kind of stuff. You get to see the prep work. You get to see the cleanup. Um, you get to see guys going to the hospital. You get to see guys, you know, in their everyday lives. So... You're going to see the the ring stuff. Everybody sees that. You can get the DVD and watch that. But what I'm going to show you is backstage. I'm going to show you the outside of everything. Because what people don't see is what these guys go through five days after a match, six days after a match, two days after a match. You know, um, I mean, some of it is is crazy, but I've kind of got into that world now. So now I, I talk to a lot of these guys on a regular basis. Um, I'm planning to go back up to uh, Jersey area in uh, March to kind of wrap up things up there with Tremont and stuff. So 
you know, there's a lot of stuff that I'm that I've got into that I've showed, and you'll see a lot of cool moments in, in this documentary. So, um, one more. So, um, I mean, obviously, kayfabe's dead and stuff. But um, I'm just curious, like, how open have have the wrestlers been with like sharing their story, allowing you to 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 film them in moments like maybe they're getting stitched up, maybe they're planning out the match. Like, have you had any pushback, or do you find it to be like pretty open? Yeah, there's uh, no pushback at all. Um, and like I said, I try to take that fly on the wall approach. So a lot of the guys, you know, I'll, I'll talk to them, of course, and tell them what I'm doing and, and show them the, the trailers and all that stuff where they, they kind of feel invested in it. Um, and then, you know, I just I show them. And I think they appreciate it because it, it is painted in such a bad light by some folks. And so they want to show that, hey, look, we're actually not like that. So I've had very little pushback, um, and and it's just because I try not to just be up in their face about things. I've actually, you know, um, Murdoch, John Wayne Murdoch, and Reed Bentley, they live very close to where I do. They're very close to where I am. So, you know, and Murdoch actually rode with me to uh, VOW. Um, so, you know, the cool part about the Lords of Anarchy was he rode with me up there and rode home. So, um, you know, I've, I've helped patch him up before he got back out on the road when he had that big gash at BLW, um, in his shoulder, you know, I've tried to help him get ready to go. I said, you know, I think you may be able to make it to get home and get stitched up at a home hospital, but I'm not sure. Um, I mean, you get blood on you at those things. I always keep taping stuff on me when I'm at ringside because you never know when something bad's going to happen. And it came in handy in that situation. So, you know, I've become friends with a lot of these guys, and a lot of these guys have helped me tremendously, and I owe a huge debt of gratitude to a lot of these guys, G. Raver being one of them. Um, man, I had one more, and now I can't, I can't, oh yeah, oh yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you, so the only thing that I can think, it, it was really funny actually, about three years ago, I had a co-worker, and she would sit sit next to me at my my desk and we had downtime and I would watch death matches and stuff. And she kind of, kind of got into it a little bit. And she was like, what makes these people do this? And the, and, and right at, and right at that time, uh, that, uh, the IWA deep South documentary came out, you know, 10 years of carnage right. cup, which I wouldn't call the documentary. It was like highlights from the tournament with a couple interviews mixed in, but that's really as close as we've really gotten to one of these types of, um, documentaries. Um, I was just kind of curious, like, uh, what, like how, now I've never seen the other, the other, the other documentaries that you've made. I'm sorry to, to say, but, um, like how, um, what type of, of, of style do you think that people can expect to see with this? Um, it's going to be interviews, of course. Um, but it's kind of going to be broken into sections. So the story of flow um, I ask basically everybody the same set of questions and it's all kind of like, what got you into this? What is your most memorable match? Worst injury, that kind of stuff, you know, who you are, that kind of thing. And then I'm just going to kind of let it flow. So the footage will flow and you'll get to see footage overlaid, uh, them talking. So basically the interviews will narrate the story. Uh, so it won't just be a bunch of talking heads. Um, 
you know, you'll see them, of course, but um, the, the interviews will basically narrate the entire story. And um, throughout the journey, and, and this happens, and that happens, and then we'll kind of follow up with some of them and uh, go from there. So each documentary that I do has a little different style. <coughs> like the Larry D one was more of his life and interviews with footage laid over it. So it was more of kind of a, you know, a telling of his journey. So it was a little different. And then the true crime one that I did was basically just them telling the story and, and it was researching. Uh, but this one will, will basically be narrated by the interview. They'll go tell the police, and then you'll get to get a lot of footage of those four films. Because like I said, you can buy the DVDs and watch the matches, but you get to see the other part of the All right, well, that's all I got. Mike, if you have anything else, fire away. Yeah, I got two quick questions. Um... You said you obviously follow up with these guys, you know, three or four days after whatnot. Um, so you're kind of getting in their psyche and things. A lot of these guys, it's a part-time thing, and, and most of them actually have full-time jobs. Um, how does one uh, go from doing a 200 light tube match on Saturday to working at the post office on Monday? I would dare to say most, most normal folks, it would be hard to say, hey, Jimmy, what happened to you? Well, I had a light tube slashed across my head, and that wouldn't be like a normal psyche or a normal talk. You know, some of them uh, try to hide it best they can, I guess. You know, some of them have this little, uh, you know, and I won't, I won't name names on who tries to keep things on the down low of, of what they do. But, you know, and then some of these guys have very open uh, jobs like tattoo artists and things like that. Um, so, and, and then some of them, this is all they do. So it's a little easier for them. Um, but it just depends. A lot of them have jobs that are very open to what they do or, or it don't really matter. And you don't have to wear a business suit and go in and sit in a board meeting, um, all beat all to hell. So, you know, a, a lot of them have, have careers that kind of cater to the deathmatch scene. Okay. Um, my last question is, uh, I watched a Nick Mondo or listened to Nick Mondo and Steve Austin the other day on the podcast and an interesting question came up an interesting answer. So I'll ask you too, because you have a lot of access yes. to these professional wrestlers. Um, they kind of asked, uh, he asked Nick, you know, why does one do death matches? And Nick told a story where he, he one time right before the 200 light two match with the wife beater in CZW, he asked the wife beater, why, why do you do these matches? And the wife beater looked at him and said, I had a bad childhood. And then the wife beater asked Nick, why do you do these matches? And he said, uh, I have a forgiveness problem and an authority problem. So Nick kind of came up with the idea that most people had something that drove them to do these death matches. Um, I don't know if I agree with that, but what's, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that most of these gentlemen have uh, something that triggered them to want to go to these death matches or, or uh, that? Not really. Um, and, and that is a question that I ask. Um, but the, the thing that you find is a lot of these guys really wanted to do death matches because of what they watched. So they, they were fans of deathmatch wrestling. So the, the, the people that you have getting into it now and coming into it now, man, they watched this. They watched that stuff. They watched Big Japan. They watched FMW. They watched IWA in Japan. So a lot of these guys, this is what they want to do. And they wear these scars like badges of honor. 
Now, I'm sure there are some that got into it because of these reasons or those reasons over there. But the thing you got to think about that, not everybody's got a broken past and not everybody, um, you know, is is a troubled soul. And a lot of these guys are are simply fans, and this is the style that they wanted to do. You know, um, you see that a lot on the East Coast because they grew up with ECW and CZW back in the day. So, you know, they're like, I want to do that. I mean, that's kind of why Tremont does it. Uh, He grew up watching it. Sure. So, you know, it's it all depends on who it is. But a lot of the guys that I've talked to were huge fans of of that deathmatch scene in in Japan. Now, like you said, um, a lot of these guys grew up watching this and, you know, emulated and if not wanted to make better what they do now. Do you think in 10 years deathmatch wrestling is going to be even – Ten times better because they're going to be watching the Marcus Cranes who can wrestle, right. Key Ravers, the Drake Youngers. Do you think it'll be a, even even push more mainstream? Yeah, and and you know I think it will. And honestly, I think that that is great. I think that the people getting into it now that are really going out there and giving it a a a great name, you know. Uh, you've got a lot of guys that are very, very, very talented out there doing death matches. Like you named some Marcus Crane and, and folks like that. I mean, Tremont is a very good wrestler. Nick Gage is a very good wrestler. Sure. Uh, Murdoch and Bentley, they're very good wrestlers. Absolutely. So you've got a nice crop of guys that just don't have to do this. They can go out there and have matches with anybody. I mean, I've had, I've seen when I was doing Larry's documentary, he was doing a feud with uh, John Wayne Murdoch right. in IWA, and they had some in- amazing matches. Oh, yeah. The match that he had at Guardians with Arrow Boy was insanely good. That's so, true. I mean, it's these guys are great, and I think that that is awesome that they're giving this deathmatch scene a very good name, and you're rolling into it. I mean, Alex Cologne, for example, very good wrestler. And he does death matches. So I think that you're just getting into it where it's just the style and it's going to demand more out of the future of death matches and it, it can only grow. Certainly, certainly. Um, and like we talked about that, do you think there still is some hack and slash? That's like kind of like to call them. We right. talked about that earlier. These big guys that really couldn't wrestle that do that. Do you think that's going to die out? I mean, there's not a lot. Um, obviously, I think that you'll still have it, but I think it'll still be limited to smaller promotions, um, you know, kind of here or there. You're always going to have folks like that. I mean, it's just the way that it is. It's always been around. But, uh, you know, I think your your upper echelon of, of talent, that's what you're going to get into. And with the documentary, that's, I mean, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see <coughs> the, the major scene of Deathmatch Wrestling. But, I mean, you're always going to have the smaller promotions. And sometimes you got to look at that at, sometimes comes down to a promoter that just wants to make money. And so he puts guys in there that, that are not really qualified to be in there doing that stuff and make it dangerous. Right. Uh, you know, so, and, and people know the promotions that do stuff like that, but right. then you also have promoters that have been doing it for a long time that care and they're going to do it right. And, so that's that's kind of the difference. But that's with any wrestling. I mean, you're going to have underground lucha shows. You're going to have underground regular shows. Sure. I mean, that's just the way that it is. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's, it's all about money. Right. Now, 
I'm going to go off what you just said with promoters. You don't have to name any names. Um, what's your biggest difference, you see? Because you're, you're back there, you know, we're talking about the wrestlers, but you're seeing the promoters through how they run their show, how things go. What kind of differences have you seen um, as promoters? And like I said, I don't need any names, but just kind of the, uh, you're seeing backstage or things that are. You know, honestly, I haven't seen a lot of differences as far as. Every promoter that runs this type of show that I've been around thus far give a damn about the guys that go out there and do it. So they make sure that they're okay. And they'll be the first one to check on Um, These guys have done this for a while. They know. They're like, okay, something's wrong. He's hurt. Get him out of here. And I've actually seen the promoters say, get him to the hospital, even though the guy's sitting there going, no, I don't want to go. Right. I don't want to go. Yes, go. You're going to the hospital. Sure. Um, well, even maybe so, how they run their shows, not so much. Because I think most of them care. Uh, but even how their shows operate. Well, it all depends. Um, you know, like, it just depends kind of what you're doing, uh, where you're at, uh, how the, how it's being filmed. Is it going to be on, you know, uh, maybe an iPay-per-view? Or is it going to be on a streaming thing? It all depends kind of what it is. But it's all – I've really not seen a huge difference in many of them. Um, you know, like B.O.W., um, man, they create some insane gimmick matches. Right. Um, and and uh, honestly, you know, Bill is a, is a a sick-minded individual, and I tell him that all the time. I'm like, hey, what, what do you got planned or what's going on here? Right. Um, so, you know, with, with, like, say, Tournament of Death, when I was there, it was more of an organized – they had guys over here getting their weapons together. They had guys over here doing this, doing that. So right. it just depends. I mean, each each promoter has their own style of doing things. Um, but you know, I don't I don't want people to think in their brain that these promoters are just bloodthirsty people and they don't give a damn because that's not true at all. Um, and and sometimes people think that they're yeah. like, well, they're just putting these guys out there to make money, and that's not the case. I mean, I've seen promoters demand. You're going to the hospital. Get him in the car. Take him. So, you know, they, they know what's going on, and, and they, they care. They care about the fans, and, and they care about the guys out there doing it. And a lot of the promoters are fans um, of right. this genre. You know, they want to see these things. <laughs> so I agree. I've talked to, you know, Brett, and I've talked to Bill, and obviously Ian Rotten, and the promoters out west, and, and Kevin Brennan, Deep South. A lot of these people care because they want to, uh, you know, they kind of, they're fans, and they want to see, and they want the guys to do well, and they're friends with the wrestlers. Yeah. You know? Now, well, they care. That, that's that, the biggest thing. You know, they, they care. I mean, it's... Sure. You, you got guys out there that are putting it all on the line, and some of these promoters don't think that they're walking out of there with pockets full of money. I mean, they're truly doing this for the fans. I mean, they want these guys to to come out there and put on a good show, and they want the fans to walk away happy. And if they get a little bit of money, that's great. But there's some times when they may not. Okay. Now, I, I do have one question. Now, you, you talked about your, you wanted to go to Deep South, but you didn't think you'd have time. So obviously, you're familiar with Deep South. And I know Kevin, and I'm friends with Kevin, and I've asked him right. this question before. Why do you think they get the, the stigma they get? Because they're kind of the redheaded stepchild of a deathmatch wrestling. Well, I think it all kind of comes down to... You know, everybody talks about Deep South and the Carnage Cup and interviews I've done, they've talked about it. But it's kind of got this legacy of 
what is going to happen next. You know, uh, there have been some crazy matches take place down there. Um, <clears throat> and some crazy concepts of things. And I think that's what it comes down to. There's guys that get hurt down there quite a bit. They don't always have them in, in really good venues. Right. And I, I think that that's just kind of what it comes down to. Uh, as far as Kevin, you know, with, I mean, he takes care of the guys. He makes sure they're okay. He, he does what he's supposed to do. Um, you know, Larry D went down there and did, did a, did a tournament. I think it was at uh strong style tournament or whatever it was. Tournament. Yep. And he said nothing but good things. So, you know, I've talked to Kevin some and I'm on a plan to interview him for the documentary, but I think it's just where it's in the South. And I think that it's hard for him to find a venue because of that reason. Sure. Uh, people are not as open to it. Absolutely. So he's basically trying to take that promotion and do what he can. Now, are there guys that, that are put in there sometimes that probably don't need to be in those matches? Well, yeah, but that's, that's other promotions. Um, sure. uh, you know, other smaller promotions do that stuff too. So, I mean, you know, it, 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 people, because they want to see the craziness that went on. Absolutely. You know, they're like, I want to see, I want to see that match where they use the table saw. I want to see the match where they had live spiders or snakes right. or whatever he comes up with. Box cutter. That's the one thing yeah, that really Box did. cutters. Yeah, that's my God. Scene right there. That one match and that one gimmick. Oh, uh, yeah. That, that was, man. Because before that, uh, you know, your, your mainstream guys were, I mean, uh, Smart Mark, uh, the owner of Smart Mark was booking them for a while. You know, they had Mike Quackenbush and Claudio on cards. And that box cutter changed everything. Oh, that yeah, man. You find them and put them in a whole new market. And then you've got, you know, porcupine quill boards and razor boards and all kinds of... Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm not saying a bad word about Kevin. I'm friends with Kevin. I talk to him all the time. It's just uh, interesting. And, and like you said, with regionality, in Tennessee, Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee can still draw 3,000 people in their 70s. But you can't... And here's the thing. And I think, honestly, when you look at it, Memphis kind of started all of this. And, and, you know, I was a fan of Memphis wrestling growing up. Sure. You know, I watched it every week when I was little. I mean, Jerry Lawler was my Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, yep. he was my my guy. Yep. And uh, when you really look at that, Memphis had all those crazy gimmick matches and they had blood everywhere. And when you look at ECW, yeah. all ECW is, because of Eddie Gilbert, yeah, Memphis. With the I tell everybody that Memphis, places like Memphis and Amarillo is where hardcore yep. wrestling started. You got Memphis, you got Florida had a lot of that stuff, yep. but Memphis, man, they did some crazy stuff down there. And, and, and Florida, Eddie Graham spent a lot of time in Memphis before that, yep. early on in his career. So, Memphis you know, and Amarillo. The style was, was blood and guts and blood yep. everywhere, and, and you know, wow. the fans wasn't happy if people wasn't bleeding. No. So, you know, hitting people with cars and, and oh, yeah. doing different things. So, I'm you know, that all kind of, it just kind of, just kind of rode on into it. Absolutely. You had your first barbed wire matches there, your first weapon matches. Yep. Absolutely. I, I love, I've watched Memphis to the day, old Memphis. 
You know, oh, I mean, you ain't kidding. That's like, that's that's good stuff. Absolutely. Places like all Puerto Rico too. You know, the violence. Yep, Puerto they, Rico. Barbed wire and fire matches in the eighties. But you got to look who the who the Booker for the most part was was Dutch Mentel. So. Absolutely. You know, it all kind of came out of that Memphis family. A lot of the things they did in Wing and I Japan or I Japan were the Memphis guys early on that yep. went over there. Even yeah, Tracy Smothers, yeah. Terry yep. Gordy, Terry Fong, Gilbert. Yep. Absolutely. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's good stuff. Oh, without a doubt. Um, would would you have an idea when you think we might see your documentary? Um, it should be out uh, late 2019. I don't, I'm shooting for September to October. Now, that all depends. You know, it all depends on editing and things. Might be out sooner. Sure. Um, so it, I really don't know until I sit down and I start seeing what I got and what I need. I do plan. I'm going back up to Jersey in March, um, just for the simple fact is I need some some more little stuff with fans and sure. and and interviews and things like that. But that's kind of where I'm at now. I'm getting interviews and I'm getting uh, kind of just the final shots that I want to have. And uh, you know, I would love to make this a documentary series. That'd I would love to do an international version of it. To say that, to yeah. Show Japan and Mexico and places like that, because the stories that Murdoch and Bentley told me about, um, you know, Zona Twenty Three oh, yeah. and going down there was just insane. Absolutely. So, yeah, and um, I would love to do an international version of it. If you want to go to Mexico, let me know. I help get John and Reed in Zona because I work with. Well, we may do that. Then. Yeah, I worked. I work with the promoter quite a bit, kind of on different things. So, definitely. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, the scene right now, uh, the UK, Australia, Chile, uh, South yep. South Africa. I mean, it's all <laughs> on my page, the Deathmatch Call page, and it's just it's so international. And, it's, you know, the scene in the, in the UK is blown up. Australia is on uh, uh, Amazon TV now, Australian Deathmatches. So it's just amazing. Uh, there's so much out there. And with the Internet, it makes it so much. Imagine if we'd had the Internet 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Oh, my God, man. oh. It'd be crazy right yeah. now. I relied on my Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine and then the uh, trading. Yeah. yeah when, I, when I was uh, in high school, that's how I first found out about ECW, was reading that. And, uh, you know, and then I first got to see it and I was hooked from there. So. Absolutely. That's where I saw these places like Memphis. When I was, because uh, I was born in the mid 70s, and uh, when I went out to my grandmother's, California, she had satellite, and oh my god, I got to see world class. Oh, yeah, yeah. See uh, Portland wrestling, and then I picked up a Stampede on Friday night. Oh my god, it was the greatest thing in the world. Because I was one of those, uh, you know, everybody's, oh, we saw start with WWE. I first watched WWE, but I I remember trading toward the NWA and the territories. And see, that. when when I first watched WWF, um, it was all I was already watching Memphis every week. Right. So when I watched WWF, it was really boring because yep. it was all big guys that move slow. And I was used to Memphis where they just, you know, basically beating the piss out of each other and having fights and concession stand brawls. And oh, my goodness. Yeah. Kind of freaking ride every show. So, you know, it was it was different. Oh, yeah. You know, you look at the heat. These Mid-South are famous for that. You know, their wrestlers are almost getting the heels or getting almost killed on the way out of the arena. Oh. I mean, if you ever listen to Jim Cornette or some of these crazy stories, I mean, oh yeah, so uh, 
you know, people getting stabbed and they'd have to walk the wrestlers out. Police would have to escort them out of the parking lot. Just it's great. It's great stuff. Absolutely. It's great now that you know, like you said, with the internet and everything, you can find so much. You know, there's so much out there. Well, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, Stephen had to bow out, but he, he appreciates the same thing. Uh, we're, uh, you know, I, I've seen the clips and stuff. I'm looking forward to your uh, your show coming out and your documentary. I think it's great. Uh, and then hopefully sometime, you know, someone sees your stuff and picks it up. It'd be amazing if it was an ongoing series. Um, even, even you know, different styles of wrestling would be amazing because there's so much. Wrestling is so. Well, I've already got one planned, and I don't know when I'll actually get back to it. But I have a documentary planned about the legacy of kind of Kentucky wrestling um, and how it figures into the big picture of things. Because you always hear about Memphis, but you rarely hear about Kentucky and Louisville Gardens and things oh like God. that. And Louisville Gardens, there's a whole history there alone. So I've I've kind of started to dig into that a little bit, um, and we'll we'll kind of see how that goes. But um, what really happened was Hardway popped up in my face, and I said, "Okay, I've got to make this one first. So um, we'll we'll probably get back to that eventually. Absolutely. Um, so again, uh, you know, where can we find you? What do you have going on? Um, Hardwayfilm.com. You go there. It's going to take you to our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is Hardway uh, Film, I believe. And if you search Hardway, you can find it. And then Out the Window Media is my production company. Um, I do a ton of stuff. Like I said, I'm head of production for uh, Primetime Wrestling in Paris, Kentucky. That's Larry D's promotion over there. And, um, you know, it's, it's just keep rolling and keep doing documentaries. And I'll keep shooting and, and this thing will be out. But if they want updates, the Facebook page is the best place to go. Um, if they need to contact me, they can go to hardwayfilm.com or Facebook message me. They'll it'll come straight to me. Awesome. I just want to say one thing too. Uh, Larry D is one of the most underrated wrestlers in the last fifteen to twenty years. Yes, I agree. Ridiculous. So, well, hopefully that goes well soon. Definitely. Uh, thank you for coming on today. And you know, down the road when you get ready to release, maybe we could talk to you again. You know, hear about sure. the things yeah, that you've been doing. Uh, big fan of it. Have a very good day, sir, and thank you. You too, thanks.